I want to talk about finding your sense of personal empowerment. I think this is so important, and I think uh, it's something that, you know, we, we, we don't need to get tired of talking about and discussing. But I think this is something that's so important for us to talk about, especially those of us that come out of religious groups uh, or suffered with, you know, religious trauma. But it doesn't just have to be religious trauma. Um, it can be any kind of trauma, any kind of uh, toxic relationships. And so I, I just kind of want to talk about, like, what's a toxic relationship? What's a healthy relationship? What's a toxic relationship with the group? What's a healthy relationship with the group? And... Also, in the process, talk about this idea of finding our voice, because finding our voice is about contributing and communicating in relationships. And so much of the time, we have to uh, stuff our own words or swallow our own words or don't really relate authentically with people. And I think it's very important, very healthy, or one of the hallmarks of healthy relationships is that we're able to relate authentically with people and in order to relate authentically with people you have to be authentic and that's the whole problem with these family systems or religious systems um that we find ourselves in or have found ourselves in is that we had to sacrifice our authenticity in order to get our social emotional needs met within the us, you know, did that from very young. Either we were raised in it or we got converted really early on in our teen years. In my case, um, can, uh, you know, I was both raised in and converted uh, really from a place of social and emotional trauma. And so just kind of want to just giving you a broad overview of everything that I want to talk about. So, um if you want to share in the comments something about your story or uh, about how you dealt with this or where you're at in terms of finding your voice, that would be awesome as well. So I want to start it out by just talking about uh, something that you may or may not be familiar with, and that is the Eastern, basic, very, very basic Eastern chakra system. So... If you're not familiar with the term chakra or chakra, I've heard it said both ways. The idea is that we have, in addition to our physical body, we have an energy body. I'm being very simple here for people. Um, we have an energy body, and this energy body is made up of spinning spheres of energy. And they're located, there's seven main ones that most people know about, in the yogis that are located along the spine of our nervous system. And so you can imagine these sort of spinning wheel as starting at the base of the spine in what's called the root chakra and running all the way up to the top of the head. <clears throat> and um, I forget what that chakra is called. <laughs> <laughs> That's at the top of the head, but we're not going to get that high up the ladder um, <clears throat> this morning anyway. And again, my disclaimer is I'm not fluent with uh, Eastern systems. Um, I know just enough to barely know what I'm talking about. <laughs> crown. Yes, Joyce, thank you, the crown chakra. Uh, I just want to be really 
authentic and upfront about the fact that um, this is not my area of expertise when it comes to spirituality, the chakras. But it's my understanding that the root chakra relates to the earth and it relates to basic survival needs. Um, it's interesting to me that you can look at some people's map or model or meaning that they attach to the chakras. And from a Western perspective and a psychological perspective, which is where I come from, you can look at Abraham Maslow and his hierarchy of human need, and you can find a lot of correspondences. So at the very base foundation, for those of you that don't know about Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of human need, Maslow would say that in order for us to actualize ourselves, in order for us to become uh, the fullness of who we were meant to become or who we can become, who we have the potential to become, that our certain needs have to be met before we can get into this thing that he calls self-actualization. And from Maslow's perspective, we are driven subconsciously and unconsciously by our unmet needs until those needs are met and we can go to the next level. So he has levels that says, basically, these needs are more important than these needs. So the needs at the bottom, if you were to look up Maslow's hierarchy of human need, too bad I don't have it that I could show you, um, then the bottom level is always the greater need. The the level beneath is always the greater need. So therefore, if the needs at the bottom level aren't met, that will take precedence in our human drives and motivations over whatever's above it. So I hope I didn't confuse you with that too much. So you, you, your root chakra is at the bottom of the spine, base of the spine, and it... Um, it deals with your relationship with the earth. It deals with basic needs like um, safety and security. That would be at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of human need. In other words, the most important human needs that we have are for safety and security. So we're responding to our safety and security needs. So that would be basic food, shelter, water, what we need as human beings to survive. Obviously, that's going to be, if you don't have those things, then you're going to get up every morning thinking about how you're going to get food and your entire day is going to be oriented and driven towards getting food. If you don't have shelter, your entire life is going to be driven towards that. So that would be from Maslow's perspective. Then your next uh, chakra sits in the sacral region, and that has to do with our relationship to really to pleasure. So you can think about the root chakra about the things that we need. You can think of a sacral chakra as the things that we want. And the next level in Maslow's hierarchy is once we have basic security needs met, the next one is social and emotional needs. Now, there's fewer levels or breakdown uh, categories in Maslow's version of this than in the chakras, but I find it interesting. So the next chakra is the solar plexus chakra, and this has to do with personal power. The need or the energy center, if you will, that drives personal power. Then you have the heart chakra, which deals with our relationships and our personal space. Uh, and then you have the throat chakra, which deals obviously with your voice. So for a lot of people, there are energy blockages at these levels where um, people are unable to have a voice or find a voice or um, 
they're not able to relate well to other people. They don't know where their personal space is, where they begin and end and where others begin and end. And so they're, they're confused about boundaries. And, but the point is, is that in order to have a voice, you have to have these other things in place. So above the social emotional needs in Maz hierarchy, then are the needs for self-esteem. So think about it this way. The basic human needs for shelter, money, um, so if we're concerned about our job, if we're concerned about our financial security, if we um, are not, it, it's going to be very difficult for you to be uh, in any way self-sustaining as far as your voice, as far as being able to build healthy relationships. If you're not, if you don't have a sense of financial security and financial uh, independence, at least in some sense, right? Because otherwise you're getting up and you're worrying about all these various different things. And if you're too financially dependent on someone else, and I know we're all in different situations and we all have to apply these things differently. But if you're too financially uh, dependent upon someone else, then it's going to be very hard to have a voice with that person. Specifically, yeah, this, you'll, you'll feel free to talk to other people about subjects that might be touchy, but you're not going to talk to that person. You're going to be very bold and vocal with on the internet, let's say, <laughs> or another place. Same thing, right? Like on the job. If, if your financial security is tied completely to a job and performance on the job, then it might be very difficult for you to have a voice with your boss. You may be able to voice things with coworkers, but you're not going to voice it with your boss. If you're being supported by a family member, you'll voice uh, really strongly and passionately and spiritually with the anointing, <laughs> your, your views and insights and passions, uh, with strangers or relative strangers, but boy, gonna make sure we stay away from those conversations when we're at home, when we're with a person that we're depending on. And I'm not faulting anybody for this. This is perfectly natural. What I'm trying to say is, is that, uh, the degree to which we are uh, our safety and security needs are controlled by another person or controlled by other people, and we're all in that boat to some degree probably, then it becomes difficult for us to operate at those higher levels of finding our voice in those circumstances or in those situations. So after that, then we deal with, let's just stay with Maslow's hierarchy, we deal with these social and emotional needs. And this is where we get into a lot of trouble. <laughs> and I'm going to say this again, social and emotional needs. So I want you to think about it this way. You cannot get to a level of self-esteem, much less self-actualization, if you have not learned that you have social and emotional needs and you've not found healthy ways of getting those social and emotional needs met. And this is where religious trauma comes in. This is where abusive or toxic family systems come in. And this is where, just like we would be driven, if your social and emotional needs are not met, just like a person would be driven to find shelter, who doesn't shelter every day they get up, or to find food and drink every day that they get up because they need that food and drink, if you don't have healthy connections with people and your social and emotional needs met by more than one person, <laughs> um, I think it's important to say that because there are some people that just attach. They have really unhealthy attachment styles, and so it's easy to just attach to one person and then basically suck, all, suck the life out of that person, expecting that person to meet 
all of your social and emotional needs, right? Um, there's so many different ways we could go with this, but I just want you to understand that this is a human need. This is a human drive. It is tied a little bit to evolution in the sense that we need each other for survival. We need each other for protection of our resources. If you think about, you know, in the tribal days and even in the agricultural age, right? Um, we needed to protect our borders, to protect our lands so that people didn't come and steal our crops or take our um, game that we caught if you go back to the hunter-gatherer period. So we we got together in groups. So also important to survival, maybe not in the same way that it was, um, you know, just a few hundred years ago or a few thousand years ago, but definitely important to us. And this is where we have a problem. So it's very difficult to find your voice, and, and what makes us susceptible to religious trauma or religious groups or religious control, control mechanisms within a religious group. What, you know, there are things that I did in the nineties, put up with in the nineties from leaders, apostles, prophets that I wouldn't take or uh, put up with today at all because I no longer have some of the same codependencies that I had. In other words, uh, I was really looking, if I'm really honest with myself, I was really, I got into the groups that I got into to the degree that I got into them is that it, it really was to get those social and emotional needs met. And that's where religious groups can really prey on us. That's where churches, you know, they, they can have something to offer. Not every church is toxic. Not every church is cultic. Not every church is going to uh, create religious trauma for people, but a lot of them do, and it's because we're very susceptible. People come in looking to have those social and emotional needs met. Now, how does this go with finding your voice or finding your own personal power? What happens to us, we are more prone to religious trauma. We are more prone to losing parts of our authentic self. We're more prone to losing, giving up our personal power. We are more prone to giving up our voice. If we're codependents or if we are stuck in this need to please people, to, to meet up to other people's standards and expectations of us uh, all the time in order to get our social emotional needs met. Now, obviously, there are people in our life that we don't want to disappoint them. We have responsibilities to people in our lives. But here's the thing. Nobody has a responsibility to you if you don't have a solid agreement in place with that person. So because these social emotional needs are so important and oftentimes exist at the layers and levels in our lives that are unconscious or that are subconscious, will oftentimes, without even knowing it, demand of the group or the people in our lives that they meet our unmet social and emotional needs that we haven't even voiced them because we haven't found our voice. We haven't even talked about them because we don't even know what those needs are or how we might be using other people 
in order to get those needs met. So what we do is we project or we enter into a relationship with that drive to get those social and emotional needs met. And then we can demand of people that they do that. We become kind of like I'm mindful of the parable, you know, where the Jesus tells where the man is forgiven of a huge debt, and then he goes out and finds one of his debtors and grabs him by the throat and says, pay me what you owe me. So what we do with a lot of people, we we tend to believe that people are indebted to us that aren't indebted to us because they they never agreed to do those things in the first place. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to differentiate. I'm not saying that we don't have any obligations or responsibilities or uh, to live up to other people's expectations. And it's not even wrong to, you know, to get those social and emotional needs met. It's no more wrong to get those social and emotional needs met than it is to get your safety and security needs met. We just want to make sure that we're doing it in appropriate fashion. Daryl, thanks for sharing that YouTube link. Sorry, guys, I missed that. I didn't realize there was a problem with everything on Facebook. So, anyway. Yeah, no problem on YouTube. Well, that's good, you know. Push everybody to the YouTube account. So, do you understand what I'm saying? Um, but we do this. We do this. We uh, can consume people in our lives or put expectations on people in our lives. And... If we are in an environment where that is happening to us and there is a payoff, so in other words, someone else is using me for their need for influence. They have an unmet need for influence. And so they try to get close to me because they think or perceive that I have some level of influence. This happens to leaders, pastors all the time in churches. And so they will meet my need for attention, let's say, or they will meet my need for affirmation. Um, it could be any anything, attention, affirmation, influence. Those are, you know, love, all those needs, social and emotional needs that we have. So then, you know, if I don't platform them, let's say, if I don't promote their book, on my podcast, they can take offense at that. Or if I don't make life choices that they think that I need to make or that I'm supposed to make or that I should make because it's how they want me to be, it's how they want me to express myself, then they're doing that for themselves. I need you to be this way for me for some reason. So therefore... I'm upset at your lifestyle choice because your lifestyle choice is preventing you from being what I need you to be or preventing you from being who I need you to be in order to meet those needs for myself. And so we make these kind of transactions and exchanges. Now, if you grow up in a toxic family system, what's a toxic family system? A toxic family system is not necessarily evil. Um, it's not necessarily bad or wrong, although some of them are. But just your basic garden variety toxic family system can be a person, mother or father, who did not really get those social and emotional needs met, those needs for love met, and they meet and they marry, 
and pretty soon they gave birth to you <laughs> or your siblings. And I'm sure you guys can testify to this, those of you that have kids. Um, for some people, it's the first time in their life that they experiencing anything close to unconditional love because you are that child's world. You are that child's world. And the child will need affection and want affection from you. And so you may find yourself in a position where you're getting a lot of attention from somebody, meaning the child whose needs you're meeting or you're their world. Uh, you're, uh, they're telling you that they love you. They're giving you affection. They're um, smiling and lighting up when you enter the room. You may have never, ever had anybody smile and light up when you enter a room before. And that can be a really good feeling. And so it's not uncommon for parents to start to, rather than being the emotional need of the child, for the parent to start consuming the child emotionally, sort of eating their own child's energy, if you will, because they're getting their own need for love and attention met. And so then that can become something that is... Um, how do I say this? Um, conditional. In other words, I want to keep that supply coming in, so I'm going to relate to you as a child rather than meeting your social and emotional needs. I'm going to relate to you as a child in such a way that I can keep you feeding into my social and emotional needs. So I'm going to structure the family system that way. So certainly in abusive situations, in situations where there's a lot of drug or alcohol abuse, or the person is just generally unstable, or they're just mean, or they're in some way abusive, then what happens is we start managing those relationships within our family system in order to keep it safe, in order to feel safe. And so we learned that my safety is tied to keeping the peace in the house, perhaps. So, for example, if you have a, a m- mother and father who don't relate well and they get into lots of nasty fights and they're arguing and yelling at each other, and in some cases they're throwing things at each other, that feels very unsafe to a small child. It can feel very unsafe to an adolescent child. But the younger you are, the more unsafe that environment feels And so the child can learn to try to manage their own sense of safety, which is certainly important, by managing the adults around them, by becoming a peacekeeper, by trying to keep the peace, by trying to make sure that something doesn't set off mom or set off dad. Uh, If one parent is an alcoholic, then what's okay one time and laughed at one time because they're happy drunk can become, you can be severely punished for the next time. So, for example, you could spill the milk and... Dad or mom could be happy drunk, and that could be a fun time or whatever, and we're laughing. And then you could spill the milk later, and you're getting yelled at and screamed at. So there's no consistency. There's no stability. So we grow up with these patterns of people-pleasing. But it doesn't have to be on that extreme end. We all, at some point in our life, want to keep the people in our life, the people that are important to us, the people that are significant to us, we want to keep them happy. We want to please them. But certainly, you can see... In just about any expression, at least of evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic, word of faith, vineyard, um, 
Bethel, it, all of them, they just have different standards that have to be met in order to keep the group around you happy. <laughs> and so we can develop this sort of people-pleasing kind of thing. Does, does that make sense to you? And that prevents us from having a voice, because if we have a voice or having personal power or having autonomy to break with the group. So that's how those unhealthy toxic patterns build up. Now, so it can be very difficult for people to voice a differing opinion. It can be very difficult for people to stand up to spiritual bullying, where people feel like they have the right to tell you to correct you, to fix you, to save you. They feel like they have that right. You've never given them that right. Um, or you just disagree with what their assessment of you, and they will withdraw from you. They'll withhold from you because that's how this stuff works. So if someone is a mentor, if someone is a leader in a spiritual community, somebody's an apostle or prophet or whatever, the unexpected subconscious social agreement is that they're somehow anointed by God to shepherd you, to feed you, to lead you, to guide you, to correct you. And we'll use all kinds of Bible verses to substantiate that. My God, boy, was that drilled into us when I think about it. Um, um, Hebrews 13 or something, you know, like... Um, Obeying your elders, something about obeying the elders in the church, you know, for they watch for your souls. What, what a, what kind of a, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to cuss on this because I don't want to have to go on YouTube and market is not suitable or whatever. Um, but what kind of a, what kind of a thing is that? Think about what that does to your mind. Like Hebrews 13, 8, I think it is. Let me see if I can find it. It's just popped into my head. We were taught this a lot. But anyway, you see what I'm saying? Like this, if you, if you have to please people in order to get significant needs met, it will rob you of your autonomy and of your voice. I just want to see if I got that Bible reference right. No, I don't. Hebrews 13a, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh. Let me see. Because, boy, we had this. And, and you were disloyal if you weren't, you know, you were rebellious. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Um, if you were women, you had a Jezebel spirit, right? You were out of that old Jezebel. She just has a Jezebel spirit. I mean, it's just crazy, man. It's crazy, crazy, this stuff. And then, just like in a toxic family system, you'll come back and defend your abusers. It's crazy. Um... Oh, they've, they've, they've sanitized it in the new international version. This actually is closer to the Greek. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Uh, let's look at the good old King James version of this. That's Hebrews 13. Seven. 
trying to find the good old King James. Here we go. Okay, so it does say remember. It doesn't say obey. I thought it said obey. Remember them which have the rule over you. But see, that's that's the key there, the rule over you, that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. So obey those. Yeah, that's how we were taught it. Obey those that have the rule over you. Actually, says remember. Isn't that funny how we do that? But you get the point. Um so if you don't agree with their assessment, if you challenge it, if you stand up for yourself, if you say, no, I, I don't agree with this, or I don't, um, particularly these groups that came out of the shepherding movement, man, the shepherding movement, you probably never heard of it, but the 70s, man, it was bad. Uh, but then there, they had offspring. Um, certainly uh, Earl Polk and his church in Atlanta was an offspring and an offshoot of uh, the shepherding movement. But that whole apostolic prophetic movement, um, a lot of them trace their roots back to this sort of shepherding movement. So in the shepherding movement, you had a shepherd, you had an overseer, you had someone that was there to uh, speak into your life. And, uh, yeah, somebody says, yeah, you had to have a covering. Yeah, that new apostolic reformation does the same kind of stuff. So anyway, I'm getting sidetracked on all that. I don't know why. I have no idea why I'm bringing all that Um <clears throat> Well, that was the system that I, I got sucked into. Like, you couldn't challenge leadership. You couldn't, you, you, you sacrifice and give up your autonomy to some degree. And that causes you to not be able to have a voice in that situation. And <clears throat> that is very, very, that is exceedingly unhealthy. Exceedingly unhealthy. The biggest regrets I have in my life, the biggest regrets when I look back at the age of in my 50s now, and I look back from the time I was, you know, 17, 18 years old until now, the biggest missteps that I made was where I subjected my own conscience, my own good judgment to the opinion of someone else because of the spiritual stature in which I placed them. Now, you may not be able to relate, relate to this from the standpoint of religion, but you might be able to relate to this on the job, or you might be able to relate to this in your family or in your intimate relationships. Somewhere in your life, you might be able to relate to this. In other words, who is the person that scares you the most? If you think about voicing your opinion, who are the, you the most afraid to voice your opinion with? Um who are you the most afraid of having a disagreement? Or Because in order to break out of this, in order to heal, someone asked last week, can you do a video <coughs> about healing from religious trauma? Someone in the group asked that. And so that's where my mindset has been for this video this morning. Because that's a big topic, and there's lots we could talk about and probably should talk about more with religious trauma and healing from religious trauma. But it's very important if you're going to heal from religious trauma, understand it's a group trauma. It's, uh, in fact, all, almost all trauma happens in a social setting. It happens to us socially. It happens to us in a group setting. And so learning then how to heal that wound and learning how to then relate in a better or healthier way 
with groups of people so it doesn't happen to us or continue to happen to us over and over again is super important. So the biggest regrets that I've had were where I didn't have my own voice, where I didn't have my own sense of personal power, where I had a sense about who I was and what I wanted and what I wanted to do in a situation. And I was told by someone with an anointing or through a prophetic word or in spiritual authority, no, Aaron, or an elder or somebody that I was just seeking wise counsel. And it's good to have those things in your life. It's good to have wise counsel, in other words. Um, but beware the naked man who offers you his shirt. You know, that's why it says consider the outcome of their conversation in Hebrews 3. Or Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. Let me show you something we do. Let me show you something we do about how we have can manipulate people uh, using the Bible. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, he says uh, that you'll be able to tell a true prophet from a false prophet by their fruits, by their fruits. All right. And then we will go over to the book of Galatians, which was written before Matthew's gospel, was written by the Apostle Paul. We don't even know if there was any interaction, really, between Galatians and Paul and whoever wrote the book of Matthew, where the Sermon on the Mount is. We don't know if they even knew each other. But there's a passage in Galatians chapter 5 that says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, etc. And so we will say, Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. Well, over here the Bible says, over here the Spirit says, over here God says that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. And we will conflate the two and we will bring the two together. And then we will change the meaning of both to mean that when we talk about it. Just like when I, I would have sworn that the Bible said, obey those that have the rule over you, because I would have sworn that's how I read it year, for years. But it says, remember those who have the rule over you. So there's this cherry picking of scriptures and then putting it together in this rope that then put, ties you up and puts you in bondage with meanings that don't, that, that are just made up in the mind of the people, quite frankly. They don't even have any real substance. They don't have any ontological realities, neither spiritually nor, uh, physically in the world. I mean, like just, there's no, world in which it should be okay to say Jesus is talking about you shall know them by their fruits and Paul's talking about the fruit of the spirit over here so therefore when Jesus says you shall know them by their fruits he's talking about the fruit of the spirit and so we say well if they've got a lot of fruit of the spirit then they're a true prophet but if they ever show any anger if they ever show any jealousy because there's another list in there you know anger jealousy uh I don't remember what all is in there but if they ever show any of that and so we 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 demonize people, we, we disqualify people if they express themselves with strength in order to set boundaries. <laughs> See, I don't believe there's any emotional experience that is negative in the right context. I don't think we are supposed to moralize and legislate our feelings and say, well, love is better and joy is better, but anger over here or rage or outbursts or even jealousy or um, you know, whatever, whatever the, the, the feeling is. It's been, a, it's been a while. It's been a minute since I've been in the scriptures, obviously. Um, but you, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, in the right context, anger's good. In the right context, rage can be good. In the right context, uh, grief is good. In the right context, fear can be a healthy and helpful emotion. The problem is, is that we carry it over 
or we carry it outside of a context in which it's appropriate. So, for example, anger can motivate you towards change. You can get angry about something and get involved with um, in influencing the outcome. It could be a social issue that you get angry about. It could be whatever, but it causes you to get involved. Mothers against drunk drivers, right? So we want to get drunk drivers off the road so that more people are safe when they go out and drive so that our kids aren't being, you know, killed by drunk drivers. So we're mad. Mothers against drunk drivers. So you can see how anger, but it also in interpersonal relationships, it can be important because you may need that in order to set a boundary with someone in your life because they've transgressed. Now, here's the thing. They don't get to choose your boundaries. They do not get to choose your boundaries. You get to choose your boundaries. You get to choose your boundaries. You get to choose the nature of what, how you're going to relate to that person. But in order to do that, you have to have personal power and you have to have a voice. And so if we're still at this lower level where we're trying to get our social and emotional needs met, our needs for influence met, our needs for attention met, our need for affirmation met, our need for love met, and is driving us so much and we've got these people in our lives, then we will sacrifice and compromise. And so that's what was going on with me a lot. That Sometimes it was social and emotional needs, but I really began to believe that other people knew for me and my life better than I knew for myself. Now, it's important to, that's what I was starting to say, it's important to get counsel, but beware the naked man who offers you a shirt. In other words, if this person, Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits, more than likely, in all the synoptic gospels, when Jesus talks about fruit, he talks about outcomes in life. Outcomes in life. So, if somebody is not financially independent, I'm not going to listen to them about finances. Uh, necessarily. I'm, I'm not going to, it's not that I'm not going to listen to them, but I'm not going to seek them out. Hey, what do you think I should invest in this year? Or how do you think I should manage this, or what do I need to do about this financial situation? I'm not going to seek them out for that. Um, any more than I'm going to expect you to seek me out for what's wrong with your car. <laughs> I know absolutely nothing about cars and fixing them. You see what I'm saying? Um, or... So I would seek out counsel from people who have successful churches, who've been in ministry longer, maybe about parenting. If you've raised kids, you know, you're proven in that area. Then I want to seek out your advice and your help in that area of my life. But just because you had a good outcome with the way you went about something does not mean that that is the right fit for me. So healthy relationships. What's a healthy relationship look like? A healthy relationship looks like I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to hear you out. Um, and then I'm going to make my decision based on what feels right and seems best and seems like good judgment to me. Now, that may or may not work out for me, but here's the point. I will end up making the mistakes that I need to make in order to learn the lessons that I need to learn the way that I need to learn them. Too many times I made other people's mistakes because I followed and listened to other people against my own conscience or against my own good judgment, and I did what they told me to do, so I went out and made their mistake. Do you see what I'm saying? Instead of making my mistake to learn my lesson, I took their advice and made their mistake and learned their lesson, right? Or learned a lesson I didn't need to learn because I went against my own best judgment. I went against what was inside of me, and that got me all messed up.
And if you develop a lifestyle of this, if you develop a pattern of this, then you gradually shave off parts, more and more parts of your authentic self and your voice. Um, then pretty soon you don't have an authentic self left to give or to share with people. So the healing process then is all about the recovery of that authentic self. But in order to recover that authentic self, you have to find a place of personal power. And from that place of personal power or that place of self-esteem, then you can give voice. Uh, Yeah, so, let's see, Shannon says, uh, I don't have much respect for people who use religion to control people, women especially. Yeah, women have it the worst in these environments for sure, um, in religion, especially evangelical Pentecostal religion. It's just um, very, very difficult. You're taught, you're taught you don't have a voice, you know. Let women keep silent in the church or... Uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over the man, all that stuff. Or, and if you do question, then you're a Jezebel or you're uh, not being submissive. I mean, the controls, the controls, the controls, the mental controls, the mind controls, the messages that get sent, and the mental controls that get put, especially on women in these organizations and systems, is crazy. And so I've worked with a lot of women who have had to find their voice and find their personal power. And that can really take some time and it can be harder for women. I think it's important to acknowledge that it can be harder for women, certainly way worse than it would be for someone who actually was sort of, well, you know, I mean, I was a pastor, so I had a voice, (laughs) I had power in the group, right? And so for people who don't have that, um, and even I felt oppressed. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Like I had power and I was a guy and I felt oppressed. I can't even imagine. I mean, I can only imagine what it was like for the ladies in the group. And I have some idea because I've been married to the same person for same woman for almost 30 years. And, um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's just gross and yucky. What just that whole system. So let me finish this off by saying, what are some practical things that you can do? What does a healthy relationship look like? A healthy relationship looks like you are able to give voice, to your thoughts and ideas. You're able to give voice to your opinions. You're able to stand up for yourself and you don't get gaslit for it. You don't get told that you're wrong. You don't get told that, um, you know, this sort of crazy making, I'm right, you're wrong, I said it, it comes with divine, some kind of divine authority, and so therefore you're bound to have to address it or deal with it. Your your opinion doesn't matter, your opinion doesn't count, your thoughts don't count, uh, what you're saying is not as valid as what I'm saying. Those are all forms of gaslighting. Um, or can be. They can be forms of gaslighting. So that's, you know, that's a hallmark of a healthy relationship. But now remember this. Um, we teach people how to treat us. So if we allow people to come into our space and 
violate our sense of autonomy, our sense of of who we are as an individual, and we don't set a boundary with that, then they'll do it again, and 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 then it becomes a pattern, and then it becomes harder to break free from that pattern. I know there's a number of you watching or on here that you have been on your own journey, because I've walked with some of you, you've been on your own journey of finding your individual power and finding your voice. Uh, what are some things that helped you or what are some things that you maybe could share with a group that allowed you or empowered you to come to a place of healing in that area of your life? Maybe share some practical stuff there with us. At the end of the day, we have to find some courage and we have, and here's what I mean. Like, so in other words, we can obsessively look for other people to tell us what to do. We can obsessively look for counsel and advice. We can obsessively look for approval because we have so much shame and self-doubt. Um, in my case, I had a lot of self-doubt that I would make a right decision about, you know, that would affect a community of people or an organization or the success or the outcome of something. So I would try to find people that had had positive outcomes and get their advice and say, well, they've done it, so I'm going to take their advice and do it too. That can be a wise decision for us to make. Uh, but when it goes against something inside of us at an intuitive level, at a feeling level, usually it's not going to be the right decision, even if they are more successful than us, right? So, but being able to make my own decisions, being able to come out of the closet spiritually, so to speak, as deconstructed, being able to do still do videos like this for me, and I'm speaking for my own life, that required a lot of courage. And again, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to face fear and make a decision or a choice anyway. And so you'll never find personal empowerment. You'll never find your voice if you don't first find the courage to break with the person or the group or the system that is controlling your mind um, are controlling you in that situation. So that's the first thing I would say is that you have to work through, you might have to work through some issues of self-esteem. You might have to work through some issues of um, significance or a sense of significance or a sense of belonging. Um, and this, this may go back again to your, roots in your childhood, you know, who knows? Um, but at the end of the day, it's finding the courage to have a different opinion. It's finding the courage to say no and not feel guilty about saying no. Um, no, I don't want to attend your party and be around your people. <laughs> Or, no, I don't want to um, – I want to stay home tonight instead of going out tonight. I want to eat in, have ice cream instead of going out to our typical Friday night dinner or whatever the case may be, right? Um, it's And so it's being able to take those risks and – being able to do that from a place of confidence and not get too freaked out or wigged out or worried about it. Like there's some people that if you say no 
or or if they think that Europe's uh, yeah, if they think that you're upset with them, they'll obsess over it. They'll obsess over trying to fix it. People that are always apologetic, people that are always saying that they're sorry for something. I'm sorry, you know. Um, I mean, I've worked with some individuals that almost apologize that they're taking up the same air in the room as everybody else. Like, <clears throat> that's where finding your personal power uh, is super-duper important. Um, let me see what some people put here. Uh, Somebody said, no regrets, everything was a lesson. Yes. And the lesson I learned was to never violate my conscience uh, or sense of what was right for me because of someone else's uh, opinions. So, yes, absolutely agree with that. Great comment. Thank you. Um, I don't have much respect for people who use religion to control people, women especially. Yeah. It makes me angry when people... Make up their own stories about me, even if they mean well, yeah. I am my own affirmation for myself. Yeah, that's you, you got to learn how to get that stuff from within um, and not be dependent on people to give it to you or dependent on other people in order to self-regulate and manage your own emotional states. Um, somebody says, I came out of the system so I could hear my own voice. Yeah, it's good. I know I'm not actually broken. Priceless helps me to self-regulate my emotions and stay in the moment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's all about self-regulation. Uh, I wanted to say, and thank you for bringing that to my attention. I want to say, and thank you for bringing that to my attention. It's not for me. Yeah. That's a guy. I'm assuming, Marietta, what you mean there is a response when people are invading your space, violating your boundaries. Um, and that's what's funny, you know, like in religion is people think they have a divine right to violate your boundaries. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. You realize, gang, there's, I mean, one of the things that really helped me heal was that, like, this is a very small percentage of people that live their lives this way. <laughs> I hate to break the bad news to you, but the vast majority of people do not uh, live their lives with cultish behavior. Now, they may have toxic family systems, and they may have these issues showing up in other areas of their life, but they certainly aren't letting strangers from a church control their decisions. Like, don't be dumb, don't be in a cult, and uh, I don't know, you know. <laughs> Those are two pretty good places to start um, in order to uh, be healthy. So... Anyway, I hope this was helpful for you. I jumped on a little bit late, and my battery's almost dead on my computer because I didn't check it before I jumped on. And I've been going just about an hour. So, anyway, thanks for watching this. Thanks for being patient on Facebook. If it's messed up, I apologize for that at the beginning. Um, and I will do a video for those of you that are in the New Day Global Facebook group. Um, I'll be doing a video tomorrow night probably talking about some more of this stuff. So, anyway, thanks for joining me. I hope this was helpful for you. Um, let me know, let me know in the comments if there's other areas or topics that you want me to cover. I got into this one today because someone last week had said, can you do something about religious trauma recovery? Recovery from religious trauma, recovery from 
childhood trauma, recovery from toxic family systems is all about reclaiming your authenticity. And that's the last thing I want to say is being able to relate with authenticity requires risk. Being able to say, this is how I actually feel about this to someone. And you know, they're not going to like how you feel about it because it's going to mess up their plan, but you're being authentic. You're being your true self with them and you're putting it out there for them and then kind of letting the chips fall where they may. Relationship requires interaction, right? So you can think about it like a, uh, uh, you know, those baby mobiles that they put over where, uh, where the different parts are all turning and interacting with each other. So by authentically taking a turn here, uh, stating my voice, using my voice to state my opinion, uh, using my voice and my personal power to express my authentic self and then letting the other person then just like in that mobile, it's like, okay, it's spinning this way. Oh wait, I'm going to be authentic here. And that's going to cause it to spin this other direction. If the person is in a committed relationship with you, then they will adjust and they will adapt to that. Never let people who are not really invested in your, in you as a person, um, Speak too much into your life. Just don't do it. Because otherwise, you're going to fall prey to everybody's criticisms. And, uh, it's just going to be, it's just going to be bad. So anyway, I hope that was helpful for you. Um, so yeah, I will see you, uh, if you're in the New Day Global Group, if you're on YouTube and you want to get into the New Day Global Group, it's the link is in my bio. If you are on, uh, Facebook and you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, you can help support the channel by subscribing. That'd be awesome. Uh, we are picking up gradually more uh, subscribers. And um, so anyway, I will catch you all next week for Sunday Morning Live. Thank you if you watched it this far for joining me for the whole thing.